0: e is the UK's vibrant network for women in clean energy. Kate is Head of Markets for the ESO, accountable for developing markets to enable the future operation of Great Britain's electricity system on the path to net zero. She joined National Grid PLC in 2002 and has held a wide variety of senior roles across the business, most recently as Head of Strategy and Regulation for the ESO. Prior to that, she spent three years in Boston with National Grid's US electricity distribution businesses. Kate holds a first class degree in business economics and is a graduate of the Harvard Business School Programme for Leadership Development. I'm delighted to welcome Kate to this EY podcast. <laughs> I'm Head of Networks and Development at Regen. I'm delighted to be welcomed today by Kate O'Neill, who's from the ESO. So hi, Kate, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, really good, thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me along.
0: No problem. I've been very excited about talking to you today. So, um, yeah, delighted to kind of get into a bit more detail about you and your background and your kind of career trajectory. Um, so, Kate, you've recently taken up a new, well, relatively recently taken up a new role as Head of Markets in the ESO. Um, how are you finding that?
1: Uh, It was an interesting time to take a new role, that's for sure. I picked up this role in March of this year, so pretty much just a couple of weeks before we headed into lockdown. And yeah, new role for me, new part of the business, new team, Mm -hmm. uh, and landed just at a point of some really big, really meaty operational challenges. So uh, I'm loving it. I've learned a huge amount, which is great. Uh, It's pretty exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no I'm, I'm really enjoying it it's, um it's a role that I'd looked at with intrigue for a while so I'm delighted to have the opportunity to be in giving it a go.
0: Okay cool good good I'm glad you're enjoying it so what does like a typical day look like for you like what's mm-hmm. what are, what's the kind of what are you doing on a day-to-day basis just to help us kind of understand? Um,
1: So my days probably aren't that Typical, I guess it feels like they can be pretty varied. Why is that? Well, the time uh, span that my team sort of focuses on is everything from very uh, short term, near to real time, almost Mm -hmm. at real time in some respects, all the way out to very, very long term strategy. And within the markets function, we've probably got. Eight or nine teams within that structure working across those time frames so my day can be spent on anything from margins for today tomorrow and the implications of that in any given market versus you know are the markets we have today fit for the long-term future and do we need to think about you know, the future um, of the bm for example there are some commonalities i would say between almost all of my days so very people oriented but a big team um, and I like to be really engaged and connected with the team as far as possible. So uh, most of my week in some degree or another will involve a fair amount of team engagement and it's a pretty externally facing role so there aren't that many days that go by where I'm not talking to one stakeholder uh, or another. Um, both of those are parts of the job that I really enjoy. So it's nice for me that those are the common themes. But I don't very often seem to wake up knowing what the day is going to look like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a surprise each day. That's always nice, I think. We definitely value your um, stakeholder engagement. I know um, as part of us managing the electricity storage network, we spend, we have a kind of regular catch up call with you. And I think that the members, those kind of operating storage assets, really value that interaction and, and regular engagement. So I think you're definitely doing a good job there and kind of been open and engaged for, for industry to come to you, which is really good. Thanks.
1: Yeah, that's very much been a theme, I think, of the ESO and how we've been trying to operate over the last, for a a good chunk of time now. We really value that engagement um, with uh, industry participants of of all kinds. And the more open and transparent we can be, um, the more regular those dialogues can be, I think the more value we're getting out of them. So we really appreciate those contacts as well.
0: Great. So, Kate, the purpose of today is, um, so I'm doing a series of podcasts that I mentioned. and. Um, this is about providing kind of insight into your world um, to inspire women across the sector and maybe broader to maybe pick out some of the challenges that you might have experienced, some of the kind of career decisions that you've made, whether those were conscious or unconsciously, um, and how, yeah, how your leadership skills have developed. Um, and I'm picking a range of women from a range of backgrounds across the sector um, to really kind of inspire others and ignite some passion in one form or another um so yeah so i think it's it's really nice to kind of chat to you and get to know you a bit better that's the aim so it's all nice and relaxed today which is good um so i know that you you mentioned that you grew up in ireland and um yeah can you tell me a bit about that
1: (laughs) so i grew up in ireland um but my i do come from a big irish family yeah Ah, okay Uh, yeah i was born uh as were all of my siblings, but my dad is from a big Irish family. um Absolutely, kind of probably says quite a lot about me and how I live, how I live my life <laughs> in some respects. Um, quite uh, fun packed, um, you know, very, very family focused, um really sort of take my values from a family saying we have, which is work hard, play hard. <laughs> um, yeah, so
0: yeah that's a good that's a good one to have definitely I think uh that must have mean you're a party animal in your spare time Kate as well as being a a mum of three three kids as well
1: yeah that's right yeah just all things in good balance
0: (laughs) yeah you mentioned um when we talked previously that you've you've got your three children your husband Steve and you've been working at National Grid for the big chunk of your career and so you've taken three maternity leaves from that And yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk to you about like how you approach that. Um, Yeah, How did you find taking kind of big chunks of time out? Like what were the kind of benefits? What were the downsides? How did that work for you? Yeah, I'm
1: more than happy to chat about that. I think it's such a almost such a a fairly big defining part of my career. So, yeah, as you say, I have three children. They are 13, 10 and nearly seven. I had been in National Grid for a good chunk of time before I had my first daughter and I had worked my way up I was probably at a manager level I think but a relatively junior manager when I got pregnant with Grace and I was always very very keen to take the full opportunity in terms of maternity leave it was really important to me to be at home with Grace and spend you know good quality time with her and and National Grid is a great place to work for, um, for working months so we've Really strong maternity policy, which meant I could take this year out of the business. Um, the first time you get to take a year out of the business, it's a really interesting <laughs> time. So I loved it. I loved maternity leave. I loved being off. But for me, um, I always felt that sort of connection back to the business. So I was all quite interested in what was going on back, <laughs> back at I think when you've been there a while and you've built up good um, networks and good contacts, you it's great that you can have that sort of little bit of a connection back but still feeling like you can be off and enjoy your time and I absolutely embraced that first full year of maternity Um, going back into the office after having your first child I found really quite difficult Mm -hmm. figuring out how to go from being at home full-time to being back at work full-time and in my case I ended up taking a job that was quite far away from home so not only was I five days a week back in the office, but my commute at either end of that day was really long. Um, so I felt like I'd been, you know, dragged away from my family in the, uh, in the worst sense, really. I found it really quite difficult. Um, family were great to help me work through that. But it is, those are life-changing kind of moments where you mm-hmm. have to really, I think, step back and think about, is this what I want? Is this how I want to work? What's this going to be like for me? And what are the boundaries that I need to put in place to be able to be at work and have a a tiny baby at home? Um, We put Grace, our daughter, into nursery, and that was a great thing for us. It worked really well. She loved nursery. We were really comfortable with her being there. And I just had to get used to those days away from her. And I tried out some various flexible working things that worked really well for me. I think the interesting bit was that... um, it was different when I had my second child and different again when I had my third child. So, my second daughter, Amelia, I'd only been off work for about eight months when I decided it was the right time for me to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And I did question myself for a while why am I not taking the full time? Why do I not want to be at home? Is that right? Is that wrong? But actually, I think in the end, you just have to trust your instincts. And for me, it was absolutely the right thing to go back to work after the eight months. And, and I never looked back. By the time I had James, I was desperate for the full year off again. <laughs> I think I was <laughs> exhausted. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, to be in an organisation that's going to allow you to sort of really take what you need as an individual, which I absolutely think is is different for every individual and is different in every circumstance, was massively important.
0: Did you find, um, did you put all three children in nursery? Really. Yeah. yeah, we did.
1: Um, in various various combinations, you know, we tried a few uh, really long days, we tried five slightly shorter days, all the time just trying to figure out what working pattern was going to work for us. And then uh, relatively recently, as the kids were a little bit older, and I think what they value, uh, what our kids valued was a bit more time after school to get into things like homework and um, learning spellings and having dinner before they're too exhausted. We mm-hmm. we got an after-school nanny, which was just like another variation, really, on on that model, but worked for us as a family at that time.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, that's quite that's quite a good time. idea. Then after-school nannies are something are much more viable as well when you've got more than one. I think I did. Um, <laughs> it makes it easier. <laughs> I
1: think it's a full-time actually, yeah, is no mean feat. Yeah. Um, I've had my moments. So my after school nanny, Maria, we absolutely adore her. The whole family adores her. There's something slightly heart wrenching about seeing the list on the fridge of like Christmas activities that the kids are going to do with Maria. And I'm like, that should be me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, ultimately, always reminding myself put these arrangements in place to create the best balance that we can create given the circumstances. That,
0: yeah. Yeah. And I think when you've got happy, kind of bubbly kids, that definitely that's testament to things working out isn't it they definitely let you know if they're not happy with the kind of current situation yeah. Yeah. Um, I did personally I found the judgment quite tricky I remember saying I put my little boy in nursery from 11 months and uh and then he did like eight or six days three days a week and uh, I remember someone saying to me like sorry you put your child in nursery at what time and I was like um I, I want to work I want to work full-time I'm quite lucky that my um yeah, mum did a day, and um, my ex-partner did a day as well. So the, the balance is out. Of things a bit better, but yeah, there was definitely a lot of judgment that goes on for working mums. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think there is too. And as an individual, it actually takes quite a bit of bravery and a bit of courage to own your own decisions and to try to deflect that that judgment. Because, I mean, frankly, it never goes away, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> different forms you know when it's kids it's about whether they're in nursery now I I feel judged maybe just by myself all the time for my kids too much time on devices not enough time with me too much you know not enough time outside um we're always we're always going to feel that kind of are we doing enough are we doing the right things what would somebody else do what would somebody else say but in the end I think for our own mental health for our own sanity you've got to be able to to know that you know best, you know best for you and your family and your child, and there's nobody
0: else's decision. Yeah, and no, I think we're definitely our own worst critics at times. I certainly feel like that, but fully aware of my strengths and weaknesses <laughs> on any <Yeah>. given day. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, you change, so you, you use the kind of maternity as an op- opportunity to change roles each time. So that's kind of like throwing yourself. In the deep end in many ways like juggling in a new baby or multiple babies and yeah throwing yourself in a different so how, how did that work out was that is that the right thing to do is that something you'd advocate for other women to try and other organizations to kind of enable
1: so it worked out really well for me um national bridge is a pretty large organization so there is a huge amount of flexibility and a huge amount of opportunity to move around the business and my career really has been defined by you know lots of moves giving me lots of opportunities to try lots of different things and I was very mindful that I didn't want to you know I didn't want the fact that I'd been on maternity leave to be the driver of the roles that I needed to take or where I needed to end up in the business so I made conscious decisions and I I wouldn't advocate this for everybody but it was the right thing for me. I made a conscious decision each time I went on maternity leave to effectively give up my role. So when they were recruiting a replacement for me, instead of recruiting for maternity cover, they could recruit for a permanent. Mm-hmm. On the assumption that I would find the right role that was going to be the right fit for me on my return, which was going to be 12 months down the line. And you know who knew where the organisation was going to be at by then and where I was going to be at. I'm really glad that that was the path that I took. I have three, nearly three years between each of my children. So it's not like I ended up in really short roles. You know, I felt like I'd been in each role for long enough. Um, Some would say it's mad. It's very brave. (laughs) But I can honestly say it it really worked out for me. And I always enjoyed, you know, going back to the next challenge, going back to the next opportunity. It's not to say it wasn't hard. Sometimes the particular move that I just described when I said after Grace was born, I ended up taking a job in our Hinkley office. Mm -hmm. So I gave myself, you know, new job, new team, new content. Actually, it was a different part of the business, but also this really long commute. And in hindsight, that was probably too much change and too much challenge in one go. I found my way with it. Um, it didn't stop me doing it again after Mimi was born and after James was born. But I recognised one of the things that I learned from that about myself was that there are, you know, you can probably change one or two or three things fairly successfully at a time but trying to change four or five <laughs>
0: things at a time <laughs> you need some consistency um to, to make those things work yeah um you mentioned when we had a chat on tuesday that you chose one of the opportunities when you were in america you took a job in america to kind of uproot the family and to, to move and that meant you did a sounds like a very exciting leadership course and took on a kind of new team um and a cha- another challenging role like how did that kind of leadership course kind of shape the leader you are today what was the driver to make you do all of those things at once that sounds like four or five things actually
1: but yeah so for the listeners I guess I was in the US from 2016 to 2018 and uh, living in Boston and while I was there I had the opportunity to do the program for leadership development at Harvard which had been a bit of a lifelong dream for me so something that you know And the list of things you're going to push yourself for, that definitely was one of them for me. And -hmm. and it was an opportunity that I didn't want to to miss. So there was a sort of an underlying driver for wanting to do something. The programme itself ticked a couple of really, really important boxes for me. One was that it provided me access to leaders across the widest spectrum of um, kind of sectors, backgrounds. Across almost every dimension. And I've always been conscious of the fact that I have been with National Grid for a really long time. And that might uh, have limited my perspective somewhat. You know, I sometimes internally call it as living in the, the National Grid bubble. It's really, really important to me that I have a, a strong sense of what it, what it is like in the real world, what it's like outside of National Grid, and actually what it's like outside of corporate life in all these other spaces and places where leadership is just such a. Central part of of what you need. So there was that, the diversity was a huge pull for me. The other part, though, was that it was a really good opportunity for me, whilst I was in this sort of different point in my career, you know, away from the UK business, um, changing roles again and, and sort of changing direction, to really think about me personally what are my strengths as a leader? What are the things that I need to develop as a leader? And to spend some really good quality time, almost with a sort of a completely unknown, in this case, some brilliant coaches on the on the uh, program to help me think some of those things through. Pretty much up until that point, all of my uh, leadership training, programs, conversations had all been very national good focused. Mm-hmm. And this was an opportunity for a sort of an entirely clean sheet perspective. Um, and I, I really, really valued combination of things that the program brought Um, it's taught on a case study basis which I think is the way a lot of these programs are done but it meant that you know for six different sessions every day you were talking about a real business in a real situation through any given lens whether it was a you know commercial conversation we did negotiation sessions we did uh, ethics and compliance sessions we did governance so all the different leadership aspects that you have to think about but we were applying them through the lens of a real company in a real situation and that for me was really compelling I learned so much
0: and there's a kind of particular things that you've picked up in that course that you've applied to your leadership style now like what kind of style are you as a leader like how does that
1: um I I think I would describe myself as a Pretty sort of open and inclusive leader and um, I have a, a natural inclination I think over the many roles that I had over the last several years to always want to think slightly more long term I like to know sort of directionally where are we trying to get to to be able to create that vision with the organisation or with my team or with a virtual team and sort of help us to navigate our way there that's Typically, whatever role I'm doing, that's a big part of of my job. And I think to be able to do that successfully, what I try to do is be that really open leader. You're never, as an individual, going to be the single person that's going to set the vision or direction or ambition or whatever. So, you know, trying to do things as a team is really important um, to me. A big part of that is being approachable, being available. Um, you know, bringing voices to the table as much as possible and then being transparent about what you're doing. What I'm probably not is super directive. Mm-hmm. So well, I can be directive when I need to be. Um, I can see if actually the thing you need is for somebody to say, okay, this is the decision, this is where we're going to go. But um I would describe myself much more as somebody who's trying to bring people with me than somebody who's trying to tell people
0: where to go. That's good it's kind of a coaching kind of style.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely.
0: So Kate how do you kind of manage like leading a team and doing like how's that kind of being a doer and being a leader is that do you find that challenging at times? Or is that... Definitely
1: find that. <laughs> I, I have found it more and less challenging, I guess, through different parts of my career. Um, you're absolutely right to describe me as a as a doer. I think, you know, as a mum of three with with a, a big job and lots going on, you kind of have to be a doer. You have to know how you're going to get stepped in to get through the day. But I'm really, really mindful. And I think in the past I've gotten this wrong um, in various times and places. You've got to know when to step back. You've got to know when it isn't your job. To do the doing and mm-hmm. um, you've got to know what your role is versus the role of others and I do think um, your obligation as a leader to know when it's right to be in and doing versus when it's right to be stepping back and and leading and letting the team do their job is is really important mm-hmm. for a number of reasons right one because if you are doing somebody else's job then you're massively disempowering them and I'm really conscious of that you're not coaching them and helping them and leading them you are doing what they should be doing it's not not great for anybody but also personally and I think one of the things I've learned the hard way over the years is that doing too much actually you can set yourself up for the impossible you know there are only so many hours in a day there are only so many things you can deliver and actually I have to figure out that balance for me between my job and and my family so even if I wanted to do everything which quite often deep down I do (laughs) and I've really had to I've really had to learn that over the years
0: yeah have you got any examples of when that hasn't quite worked out for you kind of challenges or
1: uh honestly so many (laughs) (laughs) um I think I can point to probably a couple of a couple of periods in in my career where I've got it wrong. I, one in particular stands out for me. i in my time in the u s, as I said, I'd taken a new job. Um, I was head of strategy and regulation for u s businesses, which was supposed to be quite a again quite a strategic role, sort of big picture looking ahead. where did these businesses need to get to, and what was it going to take to to get them there? but Within that, we had a huge amount of work to do um, in the detail. So actually writing the effectively, the requests to the regulator to enable us to do what we wanted to do. Absolutely not my job to do that writing. And for various reasons, um, I found myself over a period of many months, actually. So this wasn't something like I got wrong and realised the next day I needed to fix. Over a period of many months, I realised that I was positioning myself in, in slightly the wrong place. I was way too in the doing and uh, it was having a really material impact on my family who were watching me try to do my own job and effectively do uh, a load of stuff that wasn't my job, but also not great for the team and not great for me from a work perspective because it meant I wasn't doing my best on any of it. I was just trying to do so much of everything. Um sometimes it takes a sort of a definitive change in circumstances to break the cycle. I feel like once you once you start doing too much, being too much in the detail, it's really, really hard to pull back. So for me I would have to you know, I effectively waited until we'd filed this really big piece of work and then I kind of sat back and said, as good quality as that piece of work is that we've just submitted, I really screwed that up because there's just no way that we got to the outcome the way we should have got there we got to a great outcome but how we got there was not good for anybody really um and I, I sort of promised myself at that point I had to do something really quite different going forward
0: yeah and um I guess professionally like how do you because leadership can you know be lonely or quite difficult do you have kind of support networks or people that kind of sense check you in a professional context? and I'm guessing that um Steve would kind of sense check you in a kind of personal context in terms of like balance between yeah family and home and work and
1: yeah um so Steve 100% keeps it
0: to be honest
1: whether that's on you know get out the office please come and see your children <laughs> but also just in really helping me to to not take it all too seriously and not take myself too seriously I think sometimes you you know you put yourself in work mode you sort of you do your job all day it's really hard to when you're dealing with really difficult issues you know all day every day to go how do you kind of break that that for me it's the stress it's the permanent frown the the worry um and realize at the end of every day you know like nothing terrible has happened you're going to work your way through all this stuff it's all going to be fine so Steve's brilliant for that um We've been together a really, really long time. So he knows me very well and he knows um, when I'm doing well and when I'm not and, and how he can help, which I really appreciate. Um, in work, I think probably all of us, right, we have a real mixed sort of um, network. And I have people I go to for all sorts of different reasons. Um, Ro Quinn, who is head of networks, uh, head of national control, sorry, for the ESO, is... Um, she's like my work wife she, she's my, <laughs> work, my work equivalent of Steve and um, she can absolutely say kind of when I'm doing well when I'm not and and how we can help each other and massively appreciate that but also you know surrounding yourself with people who are going to tell you when you, you're being daft tell you when you're not making good decisions
0: yeah it's, it's really <laughs> nice isn't it to have to have those people that yeah. kind of have your back and sense check you and kind of Know you well enough to be like, oh, I'm not sure that's quite working out for you in the way you think it might be. Like, it's not necessarily the thing you want to hear at the time, but afterwards, you're always pretty grateful. I think. Yeah. Okay, I kind of wanted to kind of cover like your driver behind yeah. wanting to see more a more diverse kind of clean energy sector, a more diverse workforce. What the benefits you kind of really see? I guess you, you've got quite a um, a good dynamic in your kind of leadership team at the moment. Um, I guess for a kind of engineering organisation, um, generally that's quite heavily male dominated. And National Grid are looking pretty good in that space now. And and I just kind of wonder what the benefits are, what you can kind of feel in the day to day of those that those diverse decision making voices, and and how that's kind of a positive influence on on the business. Yeah,
1: I'm a, a huge advocate for having that diversity around the ta- around every table. Actually, you know, as, as far as you possibly can and I've seen quite a change in in national video over the years ESO is brilliant um, I sit on the board and the exec of ESO and both the board and the exec have more female members than male mm-hmm. which is just you just don't see that uh, very often um, and I've really really enjoyed kind of being part of, of that diverse leadership team I think the value you know ultimately it just comes right down to me for me down to just different perspectives different ways of thinking about things different angles that people take to a question and, and all of that is born out of you know a different set of experiences and a different way of seeing the world and you can't make that up so if you don't have diversity around any any table you People can't pretend to have a different set of experiences or a different background that's going to help them bring a different perspective to the discussion. Um, It doesn't work. It's got to be honest and and real and true and actually kind of grounded in in something. The other thing for me, being a non-engineer in a heavily engineering organisation is that, dare I say this, but, you know, (laughs) the engineering decision isn't necessarily always the best decision. Like, we have to take some really, really um, rounded ways of looking at some of the challenges that are facing the industry right now. And um, not, not so much from a, a you know a sort of a gender diversity or anything like that, but those different perspectives that people bring to you, thinking about engineering challenges that have real stakeholder impacts, real commercial impacts, real long-term impacts.
0: You need a variety of people around the table to come to the best answer. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um do you have any kind of key? I guess not necessarily advice, but kind of nuggets of things that you think that have really worked for you that um, are useful for other women to kind of take heed, or that kind of like I like you're going kind to of work hard, play hard from your dad. That's pretty. That's a pretty good kind of ethos to live your life by. Um, and yeah, and only to good things. But yeah, just that kind of like how you build, you know, because a lot of a lot of women are part of really male dominated boards or male dominated meetings are often as part of running ewire i'm hearing that they're the only woman in a meeting on a regular basis and i think everyone's very kind of hungry to see that change and experience that kind of diversity in meetings that you're talking about Um, so yeah just some kind of words of encouragement i guess i
1: think um i have some sort of more intangible ones and some fairly tangible ones that i guess i've tried to pick up over the years the sort of less tangible ones for me around um, confidence and, and comfort in your own skin. And by that, I mean, I've stopped trying to fit in, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. So, um, as I say, going going back several years, you know, I was often the only female in the room and it was never, ever going to suit me to try to bring the sort of male type presence or or perspective so I've had to over time recognize that my contribution is absolutely as worthwhile as every other contribution around the table and have confidence in that but you can't just tell yourself that and expect to switch it on you know that Mm -hmm. definitely comes with with uh, time and experience but I think my advice would be um don't you know don't be put off don't don't stop remembering who you are or stop or start trying to pretend to be someone else because you absolutely what you bring as an individual is is really really important and um, have that confidence in yourself build that confidence over time and try to maintain it and when you get knocked and you do when you do get knocked down and um, know what it is that's going to help you to pick yourself back up and kind of get back get back on it you like. more tangibly somebody gave me uh, some really good advice which, which was about being physically present and um, again quite often being one of relatively few females in the room for example I have quite might have tendency to sit back to be a bit more sort of you know shoulders in head down quite often taking notes and uh, a leader who I respect very much said to me the problem is you risk becoming invisible mm-hmm. so it doesn't take much actually but now particularly if I'm in a big meeting if I'm in a board meeting if I am looking for my opportunity to come in and to and to um, participate I'll try to be more physically present sit a bit closer to the front of the seat lean in a bit make sure my so- shoulders are back and it does a couple of things one it it sort of gives people an awareness that you are there and and sort of in the room and present and participating two it kind of has this uh, effect of physically gearing you up to say something so if you're one of those people who struggles to make their way into a conversation you know is forever waiting for the perfect time to make their point until they realize everybody else has spoken and now it's too late and the room has moved on doing that kind of sit forward get ready to to contribute can give you a bit of a physical trigger to force you to make your point um kind of sounds a bit funny saying it out loud but I can honestly say it's really worked for me over time. I think it's made a big difference to my ability to um, contribute to conversations where I otherwise might have just sat back and let let the opportunity pass me by.
0: Yeah, no, that's good advice. Really good. I interviewed Cathy for one of these podcasts actually, and she said that she struggled to to not kind of interject and um, kind of put point her put her point forward in meetings, and so she has like distraction techniques that she uses. Um, which is really interesting. So I told her, I was interviewing you, she's just like, oh, ask Kate, one of the questions, ask Kate what I'm like in meetings. <laughs> so you used to obviously work together.
1: Yeah, uh, so Kathy and I worked together for a couple of years in the ESO and, and uh, now work together on the Regen board. And um, yeah, we're probably quite different uh, in that respect. Cathy's, yeah, I can imagine that she's quite often <laughs> pulling one of her little tricks, twiddling one of it. The- uh, pens are something trying to tell us how she doesn't need to inject at every uh interject at every opportunity yeah. um mm. but you know it's also something about not being afraid to say the things you do have to say there is pick your moment of course like you don't want to be the person that is um just forever piling in, in particular stacking on a, what other people are saying but um you know, Kathy has some really strong views on stuff and isn't afraid to to bring those opinions yeah. to the table. Mm-hmm. And I massively respect that as well. It's uh, we're all working really hard to try and find the balance. Whichever way it is, you're trying to nudge yourself up a bit or pull yourself back a bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. She said um, that you would say she was mischievous in meetings. That's what <laughs> that's the answer she was expecting.
1: Mischievous. <laughs> I didn't know whether she would want me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> she's Um but she also, I mean, with that comes comes humour and fun, right? And we all need a yep. bit of that in our in our days at work. So I miss Kathy. I miss having Kathy in my meetings for for exactly those reasons. You know, I'm gonna giggle in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. She's she's great. Um, Bill, so Kate, that's really, really helpful. Is there any anything you kind of wanted to tell me that I haven't asked you today that you, you kind of want to cover that you think's important?
1: Um, I think I just want to say how much I value what you do. Right, I think it's fantastic that you spotted this opportunity and and grasped it, sort of for all of our benefits. You know, all of all of these female leaders in our industry and elsewhere who are. trying to to figure out how to do their best job every day and and bring themselves to work so I think it's fantastic that you're doing this I don't often talk about myself this much so (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate your your questions and uh, it's been really really nice to talk to you Um, and I would encourage as many people to to get involved as possible in all the great work that that you're doing
0: so thank you no, no problem. I um, mean, yeah, I think maybe I should do these in person with wine and I'd get even more like great insider secrets from everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely have to talk about caffeine, not myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Very well, Kate, thanks ever so, so much. And um yeah, I look forward to seeing you at the next Regen Board meeting. Take care. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>